Amen. <laughs> well, good morning. Today we start a, a new series on Thanksgiving. Are you thankful this morning? Thankful for the turkey and cranberry sauce to come at the end of this month. Amen. Were you thankful for the extra hour of sleep this morning? Okay, yes. You seem alert and alive and awake this morning. And uh, that's actually probably how we should come every week to the house of the Lord. But uh, praise the Lord that you're here this morning. They said it's good to be in the house uh, this morning. So we're glad that you're here. Um, Let's stand this morning. We're going to read one short scripture together. From Psalm 107. It actually appears several times in the Word, but we're going to read from Psalm 107. Let's read together. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Father, I thank You that Your love endures forever through all things. Lord, uh, Your love uh, perseveres. It pierces through the hardest times, the hardest things. God, we're thankful this morning for who You are, God. And I just pray uh, that Your words would... Um, would pierce our hearts this morning, and that my words would fall away and not be remembered in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So this is the month where we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. It's an appropriate month to do so, especially heading into the season that we're going to uh, head in uh, here in the next uh, few weeks. The definition of Thanksgiving is the expression of gratitude. Would you say that? The expression of gratitude. And so the most common phrase that we use to, uh, for Thanksgiving is simply the phrase, thank you, thank you. Uh, do you know that phrase, thank you? Okay, thank you, right? So thank you is the phrase that we use to express our, our, our thanks. Uh, I've told this story before, but there used to be a season in my life where uh, you know, people who love me, they would give me gifts. And um, maybe it'd be Christmas or a birthday or just, just because. And uh, for some reason, there was this insecurity in my heart uh, and in my life where I just felt that when somebody loved me who gave me something, I had to give them something bigger and larger in return. If I didn't do that, then they did not know how grateful I was for the gift that they gave me. And you know, I remember giving sometimes these lavish presents to people, you know, for the simple reason of just saying thankful for the, thank you for the gift that they gave me. And sometimes they just left kind of going, okay, you know, thank you, you know, for, for this. People who love you and give you gifts, they do it because they love you. And the appropriate response is, thank you. And I learned that the hard way, and I'm still processing that. God's working on me, and uh, probably the only one in the room he's working on in that way, but he is working on me, and my story's not finished yet. Uh, but that was just an area of my life where he cleaned, uh, he cleaned up. And um, thank you is a great phrase because it ends the conversation. Thank you is is the explanation point at the end of something that has just taken place. When somebody gives to you and you say and respond, thank you, the, the matter is resolved, it is closed, it is over, it is final, and you have expressed your gratitude. And, and in some way, you're actually saying thank you. By saying thank you, you're also saying, I 
owe you nothing for what you have given me, or I cannot repay you for uh, what you have decided to give me, or I just simply, like Justin said earlier, receive. I receive what you've given to me. Thank you. And that's the appropriate response, and it's the end of the matter. So we're talking about Thanksgiving uh, this month, and today I want to talk about Thanksgiving as a response to God's love. As a response to God's love. How many know in this room you have a living, breathing God who loves you? He loves you. And let me tell you, I love coming into this house each week because I'm reminded about this awesome love he lavishes on my life. Did Kevin O'Day do anything to deserve his love, his loving kindness in my life? Absolutely not. I'm reminded that he loves me, and I'm reminded of where I was, who I was, and where he has brought me to. And so I can come into this place with thanksgiving. I can come into this place ready to receive what he has for me because there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say to pay back what he, the price he's paid for me. And so I just say thank you and I receive. Are you in a position this morning to receive? Are you? Did you come in with a heart to receive? You know, I think sometimes we carry around this, um, this guilt of receiving all that God has for us. And, you know... Jesus paid a price so that we could be set free. Not so that we could carry around guilt. You are never going to be good enough for what Jesus Christ did for you. You are absolutely never... So, no matter how much you try, no matter how many times you score the goal and actually make it into the basket, you still will never be good enough. Scripture tells us, while yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the revelation of his love is given to us through his word and, uh, and, and, and stories that we find in the word. And this morning, we're going to go in an interesting direction. If you'll go with me this morning, we're going to go to the book of Hosea and uh, talk about a love story, uh, an incredible love story, in fact, that paints a picture of God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people. Um, I don't know about you, but I can easily identify with being a part of an unfaithful people. And that my past uh, uh, and, and, and uh, the things that I've walked through, the things that I have, have done, the choices that I've made, I can identify with being a part of an unfaithful people. But praise God, I have a faithful God who never left my side, who is always after me in hot pursuit and, uh, and loves me. And all I have to do is receive that love. Uh, so this morning we're going to talk about Hosea. The story of Hosea takes place about seven to 800 years prior to Christ's birth. Uh, and uh, Jeroboam II was king and his military had uh, made some really great advances uh, within the northern part of, of Israel. Now, you have to understand that at this time, though they were making great advances and though there was prosperity in all the land, the people were not choosing to obey and follow the Lord. Uh, they were uh, in a time of wealth, but the people were not making choices to make God, the Lord, their God. In fact, they were actually doing the contrary. They were engaged in sin, rampant sin, uh, adultery, murder, the list goes on and on and on and on. And not only that, God was particularly interested in this sin of idolatry that the, the people were lending themselves to. 
It is interesting to me to watch our nation who really, for us, if you compare us to any, almost any other nation in the world, almost anything we want is at our fingertips. Almost anything we desire is at our fingertips. And you don't necessarily have to be a millionaire to have something at your fingertips uh, in this country. Uh, but to us, even those who are in the poverty area in the United States of America would be considered millionaires to lots of people around the world. So you have to understand the perspective in which we, st uh, in which we, which we live. But as I, as I think of, or as I list the, um, the, the sin of Israel, swearing, lying, cheating, killing, perjury, deceit, perversion, drunkenness, adultery, idolatry, I see that happening today. When I turn on Fox News, CNN, News Channel 2, whatever it is, within the first 30 seconds, I can identify one of these sin with what's happening in our nation. And so it stands to reason to step back and say, man, have we grown as a people so in the land or in the, in the, in the area of prosperity where things are so close and, and, and within our reach uh, that we've grown complacent in our walk? Have we grown complacent? Have we grown uh, to be a people who are ungrateful or not needing God? See, Israel had a pattern, and it's established all throughout the Old Testament. God shows up and says, I am your God, and you will be my people. And Israel says, we will be your people. They get into a, a situation where God has met their needs, and all of a sudden when God meets their needs, they begin to, to turn away from him because... They don't need God as a giver anymore. And so what happens is they turn away and they begin to turn inward focus instead of outward focus and they begin to become greedy. They begin to, begin to, to engage in things that is against the law of God and, and they begin to put other gods before them although God said, you shall have no other gods before me. And so they begin to turn this direction and all of a sudden they find themselves in a heap of trouble and then all of a sudden something happens where they're being defeated and they need this God. And all of a sudden in the midst of the battle they remember who God was, who God is and what they need from Him. So they shout out to God and they say, God, we need you. God comes to the rescue. God pulls them out of the muck and mire. He sets their feet on the foundation. He sets them on their way. They begin to thank Him. They walk and operate in thanksgiving. The freedom that they have in thanksgiving to receive what God has done. We will not turn away from you, God. We will not abandon you, God. You are our God. We will be your people. And then the pattern starts again. He provides for them. He takes care of them. And then they turn their back once again. This cyclical pattern happens over and over in the Old Testament. But you know what it shows me? It shows me a relentless God who shows his love to an unfaithful people. See, when God makes a covenant and a promise, he never, he never abandons his promise. God has made promise to you. He's after you. He, you belong to him. And if you belong to him, he's going to pursue you no matter what. You can't abandon him. He's going to, you, can, you can choose to abandon him. He's not going to abandon you. He pursues you. He wants you. He loves you. And so these people in the cyclical pattern, in the middle of this uh, pattern where they were actually on the downswing, where they would turn their way, God gives us this story through this prophet named Hosea. And it is a beautiful 
love story. And it runs parallel to what's happening in that time to the people of Israel. And God speaks to the prophet Hosea and he says, I want you, Hosea, who is faithful to me, I want you to go find a promiscuous woman and I want you to marry her. I want you to get in covenant with her. I want you to make a promise, a life promise to her. And so Hosea, I'm sure just like anything else uh, that God would ask him to do, he obeys. And he finds uh, this woman named Gomer. And she is tainted with the sin of Israel and, and in her ways. Yet Hosea falls in love. He's attracted to Gomer and he, he brings her into his home and marries her and makes her his wife. He puts a ring on his, her finger and says, I'm going to love you until the day I die. I'm going to pursue you with all my heart until the day I die. I am going to cover you. I am going to shelter you. I am going to protect you. What else could she need? What else could she want but to be protected, to be sheltered? But just like God who meets the needs of Israel... The people turn their back on God. Gomer does the same thing. They have a son. They name him Jezreel. And I can only imagine that Hosea is just elated by this son, by this boy, this promise of God. And as this child is born and brought into this life as a product of their marriage and their love, the Lord tells Hosea to name this boy Jezreel. And Jezreel is a place, there's a valley in which God is promising that he's going to make himself known again. And all of this sin running rampant uh, uh, amongst Israel is going to be scattered. Jezreel means God scatters. And he's going to scatter his people. Well, in the midst of this time, Hosea, I'm sure, being faithful to his purpose in showing God's people God's love and saying, turn from your wicked ways, Israel, and turn to this God who has never abandoned you. He's out with potency preaching the message. And Gomer is sitting at home. And she's starting to dabble in the thoughts of what her life was formerly. And she starts to say, you know, maybe what's out there is better than what I've been given here. And so she starts to tread that line of unfaithfulness. She starts to tread that line of giving herself away to her sin and to her past and into that baggage that she carried around for so long. And the scripture tells us that she engaged in that sin. She became unfaithful. And I can't imagine when Hosea is starting to figure out that something is wrong, that he's, he's going to hold true to his word and pursuing this God and making sure people know this awesome God who, who loves these people. But at the same time, within his home, he's experiencing this very friction that God is, uh, is, 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 is witnessing himself or experiencing himself between his people. And so I can only imagine that Hosea is just in anguish and despair as he knows that Gomer is being unfaithful to him in their marriage, yet he doesn't leave her side, yet he stays next to her, yet he loves her just like the promise he made when he first met her. This is the beautiful picture of God's grace and love for us. 
So Gomer conceives and has a child. They name her Lo-Rahama, which means lost child. Or not loved, I'm sorry. It means not loved. Because this, this father was not, this child was not going to be loved by the father by which it was conceived. She had another child to which there was no mistake. Gomer was being unfaithful, unfaithful to her husband. The next child was named Loami, which means not my people, not kin to me. And so Gomer, bearing these children, I'm sure is making every accusation, every excuse, running rampant in her sin and in her life. Yet Hosea stays faithful. He still loves her. He still pursues her. He still wants her. Did it hurt? I'm sure it did. Was it hard? I'm sure it was. But he was going to keep his commitment to his wife. This is the picture of God's redeeming grace in our lives. No matter how far we run, he's going to stick to his promise. So he receives word after a period of time, Gomer has left him. And I just imagine Hosea, maybe the feelings of betrayal, maybe the feelings of, of um, being uh, let go, loneliness, all of these things are just welling up inside, yet he's staying true to the, to the fact he could dwell on the, on the negative and everything she's done, but he can't help but dwell and focus on the love he has for this woman. It's a love that's a perfect love. It's a love, it's a love that endures all things, that bears all things, that believes all things, that hopes all things. It is a love that never ends. Is this not the picture of our God in his love? And so he's, Here's word that Gomer has sold herself into slavery. It's hit rock bottom. And anyone within their right mind would look and say, well, Gomer deserved that. That's where she ought to be. And for someone who has not experienced perfect love, they would step back and say, that's justice. That's what should happen. But the opposite was true with Hosea. He was burdened and saddened by what happened to Gomer. Because this, no matter how many people walked out on her, he was not going to because he was driven by this perfect love. And so, he gathers up his money. Scripture tells us in one version, it says, I paid the price of a slave. And he goes and he gathers up his resources and he goes in pursuit. He finds her where she has hit rock bottom, destitute, out there, pitiful, no one wanting her, disgraceful, and says, take all of which is mine. I want her. And he picks her up, and he takes her, and he says, I'm going to restore you to your rightful place as my wife. You belong to me. Hosea, the name Hosea means salvation and safety. The name Gomer means complete 
and finished. Let's hear from the perspective of Gomer. God spoke to Hosea, he said, go, go find a prostitute, a broken, selfish, self-righteous, desperate, desolate woman, and marry her. Take her home. Take her home. He had fire in his eyes the day he found me, a passion I had never seen desire with unquenchable intentions, but a gentleness I had never known. And he took me home, and he made me his wife. Me, the wife of a man who only knew loyalty. He only knew love, but I didn't. I didn't. All my life, I had been a wanderer. All my life, I had been a deserter. A minute by minute, moment by moment, slave in freedom-masked chains. It was my nature. It was who I was. I was a prostitute, and he knew exactly who I was. Jose. Oh, Empty hands. 
became Hosea's in name. I was his in undying words. My vows were only words. My heart was never in it. Oh, I would fake a smile in his presence, but my midnight breath was on someone else's lips. I would hold Hosea's hand, his sweet, patient, steady, faithful hand, while glancing over my shoulder to see who noticed, and I would solicit my love for one night of impure motives. I bore Hosea children. I played the housewife role. But at night, I was paid in silken garments to feed my things-driven soul. I was anyone's but Hosea's. Hosea meant security. He meant a home and provision. But we both knew I had my habits. I made my own choices and decisions. Our marriage meant a title. But it didn't mean my love. I forewarned him. He knew exactly who I was. He knew a prostitute. He knew who I was. Several nights he found me being less than moral, and he brought me home in anger and turmoil. His heart was wounded. Well, mine was too. I was ashamed he could be so cruel to think he could keep me because of a stupid ring. To me, that ring didn't mean anything. He knew who I was. Just like he knew that day on the streets, the day he had fire in his eyes. Well, since then, that fire had become uncontrollable. While I chased after my lovers, he destroyed every gift and payment I had ever been given from them. He tore my silks, he burned my garments. His love consumed him. I had never seen this kind of faithfulness, never seen this kind of love. So I ran. I ran hard and I ran fast until I ran so far it was too late. And I was sold into the human trafficking of my own doing and locked in the chains of my own desire. And I became a slave. And I was filthy. And I was torn. And I was rags. I was broken, so broken. Until one day, there was a man in the distance. And he wasn't walking, he was running. He was running for me, it was Hosea. And he bought me. He purchased me, I was his wife, and he bought me back. And he tore off my chains. And where else did he lead me but to the place that we first met? the day he had fire in his eyes. And he drew me in with flowers in his hand and whispered, marry me for good.
Is this not the redemptive picture of the work and power of the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives? Let me read a passage from Isaiah to you. Chapter 43. But now God's message. The God who made you in the first place, Jacob. The one who got you started, Israel. Don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. I've called your name, your mind. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am your God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a price for you. All of Egypt and everything between is thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. That's a personal revelation for you. He would trade the creation for you. He wasn't kidding when he said he'd leave the fold of the 99 to go after the one. He's after you and He's made a promise to you. And the only thing, the appropriate response, I can't think of a better response or another response, is simply, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And so today, as we begin this series on Thanksgiving, we put ourselves in a posture ready to receive. Would you stand? So why choose a love story to start the series on Thanksgiving? Because you and I are a part of God's love story. He's after you this morning. He hasn't stopped being after you. He's remained by your side. Have you abandoned him? Have you left his side? Is this a morning of reconciliation? Is this a morning for you to to settle things between you and your God? Because He's right there. He's waiting with arms wide open. And as He gives to you and you receive the correct postures, thank you. And so with those who are going to pray, please come forward. I understand that there are probably needs in the room, and that's what this time is for. But there's also some people that might need to work some things out come back to their first and true love. And for the rest of us, we're just going to worship for a few moments in the posture of thanksgiving, receiving the knowledge and the heart that we belong to Him. Amen? Let's worship.
God and King for His love endures forever. Raise your hand this morning. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ carry you into this week reminding you of this indescribable love He's lavished on your life and so that you can walk in utmost thanksgiving receiving what He has given to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed this morning.